Hello, everyone. Happy New Year to you. This is Alan right now. Uh, Corbin is not going to be with me on this podcast like usual. This is going to be a single show. He's already done this podcast for his top picks of the year, and now it is my turn to do my top picks for this year. Now, this list is going to work a bit different than Corbin's. I will be doing all the movies that I've seen in the theaters that was released this year, and I'm going to rank them from worst to best. Now, with that being said, this is not every movie that was released in theaters this year. This is only the ones that I was able to see. That being said, it's about 22 of them, which is a pretty good number. Now, there are categories. This is my first time doing this, so this would be... I don't know if this is going to stick or not, but this is what I felt would work best when I came to when I came to writing these movies. So there are six categories. There are movies I hated, movies I didn't hate but didn't like, which means they're the ones I'm kind of adamant about. There are films that I liked but I'm not remembering much or taking away much. There are films that I enjoyed or liked. There are films that I loved. And then there are the best of the year. These are the films that I feel are the best that were released this year. And I tried to keep it balanced as much as I could or as much as I felt. And there's about three to five films per category. Now, the best of the year only has three. Movies I Hated has two. So there are 22 movies that I got to see in total. And now these are not listed in my rankings. These are listed from release date, from first release of the year to the last that I was able to see. They are The Shack, Logan, Ghosts in the Shell, Gifted, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Alien Covenant, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales, Wonder Woman, Baby Driver, Spider-Man Homecoming, The Big Sick, Dunkirk, A Ghost Story, The Emoji Movie, The Glass Castle, Death Note, Mother, Blade Runner 2049, Murder on the Orient Express, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, Star Wars The Last Jedi, and finally Lady Bird. Now, like I said before, this is not every film that was released this year, obviously. This is only 22 of them. These are the ones I was just able to see in the theater. So here's how this podcast is going to work. I'll first give the category that I'm going to talk about. Then I'll give the movie that's in that spot. And I'll give the plot summary. I'll give the scores that are recorded on mine to be. Then I'll give my own thoughts. And at the very end, my score. So that's how it's going to work. And after all that's done, I'll go ahead and move on to... The films I wanted to see this year, but didn't get a chance to. And then after that, I'm going to talk about my Oscar predictions that um, based on what I had seen this year. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get started with the very first category being the films I hated at number six. There are two of these. The first one, number 22, at the very bottom of the list is, I'm sure you've heard about it. It's been kind of going everywhere as of late. It's been something that everyone has been ready to trash and have trashed ever since it came out. That is the Emoji Movie. The plot summary here is, Gene, a multi-expressional emoji, sets out on a journey to become a normal emoji. So the score here from Rotten Tomatoes, you have a critic score of 9 and an audience score of 40. IMDb is kind of siding with the critics on this one. It's got a 2.9. So what are my thoughts? Well, honestly, what else is there to say? This movie has kind of been trashed ever since it was released. Even before it was released, people were starting to trash it and hoping that it'd be a Lego movie type of deal where it looks really stupid. But then when it's released, it's actually not that bad. In fact, really good in most people's eyes. So that's what we were hoping for. But of course, our worst fears came true and those who watched it is not good. The thing is, talking about the good in this movie is going to take less time 
than it is to talk about the bad because I could talk for hours about what doesn't work in this movie just based on the fact that it is so fundamentally broken. That being said, I do think that the animation is pretty good. That That's really that's really where the good stops right there. Honestly, the message is confusing and is shattered by an overbearing product placement, i.e. Candy Crush or Dropbox or basically anything else that's in this movie. Uh, the voice acting choices were interesting. The guy who picked Jack Patrick Stewart was regarded as being a genius decision for some reason. Although I, I didn't see it. I thought it was eh. Kind of funny, I guess, but there is no point in this movie where I actually laughed, which is kind of sad because it is regarded as a comedy. In the words of IHE, this movie is not a movie. In fact, this movie is so not a movie that the movie even has to remind you in the title that it is a movie, i.e. the emoji movie. If I was to put this movie into a sentence like or a phrase, I would say that there are not enough expressions of frustration for me to endure this movie again. Corbin and I can just do a podcast over this movie just by it alone and being frustrated and talking about it for four hours. Easy if he were to see it. I don't think I would want to put him through that, but I put it through myself and no, it's not good. I'm giving this a two out of 10. Highly not recommend. Just there's no reason really for this movie to exist and yet it does i don't get why why the creators were also excited that it was one that took the least amount of time when it comes to an animated feature it was the one that was produced the fastest which i don't see how it's an achievement so we're going to move on. Number 21 is Death Note. So here's a plot summary. A high school student named Light Turner <laughs> discovers a mysterious notebook that has the power to kill anybody whose name is written within its pages and launches a secret crusade to rid the world of criminals. The score here is pretty similar to Emoji Movie. The critic Rotten Tomatoes score is 39% with an audience score of 25% and IMDb a little bit more gracious 4.6. So what are my thoughts? Now, I have seen the anime. It's been a couple years, but I do remember a lot from it. And there's a lot in the movie that is not in the anime. Now, I know that there are other live-action movies that were made that are more Japanese, but this is an American-made movie, American-made adaption for this show, and I don't think they did a very good job. Of course, you have to take some liberties if you're going to convert really any kind of media into any other kind of media. It's more seen in books than it is when it comes to, say, a TV show versus a movie, because if you're going to have a movie that's based off a TV show, it could you could do the route of the Cowboy Bebop movie, where it's just a continuation of the show, just fleshed out into an hour or two hour picture this is not the case this one tried to essentially envelope the entire show into an hour and 45 ish minutes which really didn't work now that being said if you see it like in the harry potter movies you have a book that's come that's adapted to the screen and of course you have to take some liberties with that because a book can go out very into detail as to say the emotions of the character for like five pages then when the literal events come back into play they it just continues from where it's left off versus where if it took out all of the inner workings of that character's mind it's a bit different of course that being said this is a movie 
tying together a 35 episode TV show and that doesn't work. I think that the liberties that they took to make this movie shorter and a bit more compact were not the right decisions made. I think that one of the things that really hurt the movie is the light and L conflict because in the show that was what basically almost ran it is that you got to see these two forces, these two moral forces going against each other and outsmarting each other almost every episode. And and with that, the show was so interesting because you got to see these two characters fight against each other, but one of them not know it. And so the movie doesn't do this at all, which I think is really sad because and it would have made it a lot more interesting and honestly, a lot better if they wrote it well. I think that Light's character is really stupid. I don't think that the actor playing him did a, the best job. I also don't think the writing was even all that great in general, just because it felt really cheesy at times. And it honestly, it just did, it just didn't work. I don't think I'd ever watch this again. Now, this is just a Netflix original, so it's not like you're going to go... It's not like it was released in theaters or anything like that. But that being said, it was still a movie. All of the characters here are really stupid when they honestly really shouldn't be. They removed the most interesting part of all the characters. And of course, like I said, there are liberties that are going to be taken between a conversion from one media to another. But I, they're the wrong liberties. They, this movie just doesn't really work. I don't think that Nat Wolf did the greatest job here. I think he can be a really great actor, but he's just not pushing himself to be that actor. In the end, what's good about this? I do think that William Defoe as Ryuk was a great choice. I Unfortunately, I wish we would have been able to see Ryuk more often because he's more or less just a silhouette the whole time, which isn't that big of a deal but when you see him so often in the show and you only see with the only thing you see in the movie is just the silhouette and the voice of William Defoe, eh, I wanted more that's the kind of the thing I I just wanted more I guess it's I guess it's the best way to describe this movie it left me wanting so much more that the movie should have given me but for some reason did not so in the end, uh, some people actually may enjoy some of the themes. They do have some really interesting themes in here. I also think that um, the themes that are in here are do are kind of representative of the show. But once again, the show goes into a lot more detail on these themes, which is honestly actually kind of expected. I'm going to give this a 4 out of 10. It's still not a recommend. It's not one that I... It's not one that I would give a recommend any time of the day no matter who it is just go watch the anime it's so much better now with that being said let's move on to the next category this is the films that i didn't hate but also didn't like there are five in here this i think is the biggest category it kind of goes to show that these are the ones that i was adamant about like i said before in the intro these are the films that i think could have been done so much better but then for whatever reason we're not so number 20 is ghost in the show i'm not going to talk too long on this one because corbin and i in Almost every podcast since we saw it in the summer, we've talked about this movie and how we're not big fans of it. But I will go into a bit more detail as to why I think that. Before I do that, let me get the plot summary and the scores real quick. So the plot summary is, in the near future, Major is one of the first kind, a human saved from a terrible crash, who is a cyber-enhanced, to-be-perfect soldier devoted to stopping the world's most dangerous criminals. The score is here from Rotten Tomatoes. The critic score is 45%, and the audience score is 51, with an IMDb score of 6.4. So what are my thoughts? 
once again, this is another anime adaptation. And I know that this and kind of Death Note, but mainly this movie got a lot of flack for whitewashing. Now, for me personally, it didn't bother me that ScarJo was prominently white and everybody else in the movie wasn't necessarily. I do think that Ghost in the Shell... I wouldn't say it's very good. I don't really, I don't really see the need for, you know, a Ghost in the Shell adaptation or even a Death Note movie, to be honest with you, because they're both relatively new. I guess Ghost in the Shell was made in the 19, I think it's 99. I can't remember. I know it was made in the 90s. I still don't think that it's ready for an adaptation, especially not one of this caliber, because just like Death Note, they are essentially taking whatever movie, in this case, it's all the movies. I guess there is a short television series, but for the most part, they're taking all the movies from the Ghost Shell franchise and they're combining it into one two-ish hour long movie and it doesn't work now when it comes to the anime i've only seen the first movie but corbin and i watched this together as i said and he's seen a couple of them and he was able to point out there are different scenes that were also in the anime essentially it was just recreating those and i did notice a couple because i have seen the first one obviously and honestly it kind of comes off especially if you've seen those other ghost in the show movies and i kind of got this vibe and maybe if you've seen the other ones i get this is a bigger vibe unfortunately this movie kind of feels like a summary of the different moments in the movies all kind of crammed into one and a narrative is strung through there then again, I could be wrong because I've always seen the first one. But I do think that it is a very prominent criticism that needs to be addressed. I do think that, unfortunately, with all of the liberties that were made, one of those is the really deep philosophical themes that were brought up in the anime in the first one. And with those missing, the movie feels really shallow. It kind of brings them up, but at the same time, it never really dives so deep into it like it, like the anime did, which was very much taking off of Blade Runner and its themes as well, which I think really, really worked. And for its and for its world construction and everything, it was fantastic. And I love the original, but this new one just dropped the ball on that for some reason. And instead, it's just a straight up investigation story, which can work still. I really like crime dramas, but at the same time, they need to be interesting. And if they have something like the original with all of that, what does it mean to be human themes? and this one doesn't, I think it is just severely lacking in that category when it comes to a really well-constructed movie. That also being said, of course, if you listen to other podcasts, Corbin and I always talk about the world bidding and how poor it is here, because in the original anime, they it, the world felt really dirty. It was futuristic, but it was very dirty, and it felt really realistic, even though it was an anime. It was animated. This one is very much a, what you would call, American 21st century utopia worldview, which doesn't really look good for me. I don't think it works very well, very well here. I think that even Blade Runner 2049, which it's on this list somewhere, yeah, um, I do think that that one does a better job at world building because it still has that greediness to it but still that 21st century more modern style and this one just kind of throws it out the window i think that although the visuals do look really good in terms of the design and stuff like i said it's just too too modern too 21st century utopia for me it 
that just feels fake. And there's a lot of things in it, like these giant billboards that just make it feel even worse. They could have done a lot better with this if they went more for the anime. More looking like the anime is what made it a lot more interesting because it just doesn't really feel like eye candy like the original one was. Now, like I said, this movie does not, if movie does look good, it's not bad looking in any sense. It shot pretty well. But at the same time, there are even, like I said, there is, there's one scene in particular, which I'll post the video to a YouTube video that goes on about this in the description. But essentially, they compare these two scenes, one in the movie and one in the anime that are almost shot for shot identical. But because of how the two are so vastly different in terms of style, it shows that, that the adaptation here does not really work very well. So in the end, what's so what's good about this well like i said the the visuals look really good the camera works really good i think that the acting is pretty much fine here there's nothing really to complain about there um i do i do think that if you really like crime dramas especially those set in the future you'll probably really enjoy this one i personally did not i'm gonna go ahead and give this a six out of ten not recommend for me Okay, so number 19 still in the movies I didn't like but didn't hate. This is going to be Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Men Tell No Tales. So the plot summary here is Captain Jack Sparrow searches for the trident of Poseidon while being pursued by an undead sea captain and his crew. The score here is for Rotten Tomatoes. The critic score is 30% and the audience score is 62%. IMDb sides closer to the audience score with a 6.7. So what are my thoughts? Now, here's something kind of funny, actually. I'm a really big fan of the Pirates of the Caribbean, the first one, not so much any of the sequels. In fact, I fell, I only saw On Stranger Tides in the theaters because I was just so disappointed by it. So what did I think about Dead Men Tell No Tales? I didn't think it was as bad as On Stranger Tides, but that being said, it's still not good. And... Being a big fan of the Pirates of the Caribbean, at least the first one, it's kind of sad that they keep making these movies, but they're not doing anything good with them. The only great one was the first one. The second one, I think, is still pretty fun, but not, not anywhere near the first one. And of course, three and four not good five i think is in that same pile where it's just eh, it's it's one you can totally skip and not feel bad about not watching it just because it is honestly kind of forgettable and that's sad because captain jack sparrow was such a, an iconic figure once his first movie came out so all right one of the big things that I had a problem with in Pirates 5 was the cartooniness of it, because in the first one, yes, it was also very cartoony, especially with Captain Jack Sparrow, but at the same time, he used that cartooniness sometimes to outwit the other people, and it felt kind of genuine. This one, he just feels like a doofus, and he doesn't really do much. I mean, he doesn't really outsmart anybody here with his silliness. It kind of just comes off like he's being an idiot and that's kind of sad because especially with the opening scene with captain jack sparrow when they try to steal the safe from that city and then end up somehow taking the entire building with them on horses that's just that kind of put into perspective what the rest of the movie is going to be and honestly what this is a what you see is what you get kind of a film you can try and read more into it but there's not going to be much there i don't think that jack did a great job i did although like 
the girl character, the main character in this one, and Captain Jack Sparrow kind of took a back seat, and she was more the main role. That that's not saying that Captain Jack isn't a big in this film because he is. What I mean is that like the original, he's not the main character. The main character is more female led. And I did enjoy that part. I thought she did really, really well. And I think that the that these pirates films work so much better when they have Captain Jack as a side character, more than not just the main character. So what about Javier Bardem? I think he did actually do a really good job. I think that his villain design does look really cool. Once again, I don't think that it's as revolutionary as Davy Jones because even today, that film being as old as it is, Davy Jones looks really, really good. And even back then, he looked fantastic. And I still think that that CGI still holds up. I don't think he looks as good here. It's just kind of sad because this is totally Disney. This is something that Disney helped produce. This is something that... In fact, let's talk about that for a minute because when I look at the director and the composer for this, it's kind of evident that Disney felt like this was going to flop. And so they gave it to a, a pair of directors who haven't really done much else, I think, other than TV shows. They aren't really known for anything else, which is kind of sad. Usually that, even that in, in and of itself, unless some, for some reason the studio has a really big faith that they're a great director, is not going to end up being that great. But this is what confused me. The composer is not Hans Zimmer or Klaus Bedalt. It is Jeff Zanelli, who is known for his compositions on Mordecai, The Odd Life of Timothy Green, and Secret Window. Now, I haven't heard any... Well, I guess I have heard Secret Window, but I haven't heard really anything else that he's done. And you can kind of tell it's not Hans Zimmer here. I do think that what he does with the theme actually sounds pretty good, but you can tell it's not Hans Zimmer... And I think that it could have been done better. Like I said, I think that Disney knew this was going to fail. And so they kind of just hired on more cheaper hands to take care of it than actually getting someone or a better script to help save it. That all being said, this is still a good time. And I, although I wasn't very thrilled by it, it is still a fun movie to watch. And there are still a couple of themes here that I do think are kind of interesting. So all in all, I'll give it a 6 out of 10. It's a slight not recommend. I do think that Disney could do much better. And maybe doing much better would be ending the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. Who knows? Maybe there's something else that they can do to try and reinvigorate that again. But for right now, I don't think there needs to be another one. I know that another one's planned i don't think it needs to exist but at the same time it's a slight not recommend if you want to check it out go ahead it's not like a total waste of time like some of these other films below this but at the same time it's not one you're going to get too much out of i just go watch the original it's so much better in like almost every way okay so number 18 is alien covenant here's the plot summary the crew of a colony ship bound for a remote planet discover an uncharted paradise with a threat beyond their imagine and must attempt a harrowing escape. So the score is here for Rotten Tomatoes. The critic score is 68% and the audience score is 56% with an IMDb score of 6.5. So what are my thoughts? I wonder if Ridley Scott is kind of losing some of his artistic vision because I didn't find this very interesting or honestly very alien like to be fair i didn't find prometheus to be very alien like either but i did actually enjoy that that being said i don't think that this one works very well the greatest um no it does have interesting ideas and themes that scott has always been really good at in opening up and just and talking about in his movies but i think maybe this time he kind of bit off a bit more than he could chew 
like I said, I do like the themes, but I don't think he explores them in the best way that he knows how. At times, it feels very art house, clashing with the rest of the style of the movie. That's not to say that art house is bad, because Blade Runner is also very art house. But I and I really enjoyed that one. I think the key example here is when the two robots of the movie kiss. I think that that's part of my issue with the rest of the film not being so art house and that one being a bit more symbolic-esque it kind of starts to clash with the rest of the style of the movie and that's kind of where the turnoff was for me there was one point in the scene where there's a deus ex machina with this with the crew and i was really liking it up until that point but once that point hit and the movie went and did everything else after that i I started it started to lose me and i think that's my biggest problem is it's just the clashing styles that i don't think are implemented the greatest here. This movie visually looks great, and that's something that Scott is always very on par with. I think it all of his movies that he all of his movies that I've seen have look amazing. And I think that I think that he could be more of a Zack Snyder in this kind of a sense because his his sense of style is very unique and is very, very good looking. And but now he's just getting, I guess, kind of to the age maybe where he begins to not really maybe not really get through what he's trying to say when he understands it but it's kind of hard for him to put it into a movie now like i said the first 45 minutes i think are great and i really really enjoyed it and there are points where it does pick up and begins to really invest me but for an overall and experience it was something that i found to be like I'm walking away, I do remember things from it, and that is something that I always rate my movies off of is a long-term score, which is I, for me the final score, and that's one where I look back at the movie a few or months out or years or so, and I say, okay, how much do I remember from it? The more I remember, the more I like that I remember, then the higher the score will be. And for this one, I do remember quite a number of different scenes, which is a good thing for the movie, and, I, and that honestly is probably what saved it for me. So maybe, like I said, it's just kind of good for Scott to either give up the franchise or maybe even go for a completely different style in general and really flesh out those themes that he wants to talk about. Like we talked about in our Neil Blomkamp's retrospective, Corbin and I, we said that maybe Neil Blomkamp himself, if he was to come on and do and take over the Alien franchise or at the very least just do a movie, I think that that might even help the franchise in general just kind of get a new head, a new vision as well. Overall, I give this a 6 out of 10. If you like Prometheus, you'll like this one. I personally really didn't enjoy it, but I can see where some people would. So 6 out of 10, this is a mild not recommend. Okay, so number 17 is Spider-Man Homecoming. Now the plot summary here is Peter Parker balances his life as an ordinary high school student in Queens with his superhero alter ego Spider-Man and finds himself on the trail of a new menace prowling the skies of New York City. The scores here are surprisingly really high with a Rotten Tomato score of 92 for critics and 88% for audiences and an IMDb score of 7.6. So what are my thoughts? If you've read my reviews, you know that I'm not the biggest fan of superhero movies, more modern superhero movies, specifically Marvel. I actually do have a funny story with this because it was actually Guardians of the Galaxy 2 that I decided that that was it for me. I was not going to see any other Marvel movie if I could help it. In fact, I even vowed that I wasn't going to go see Spider-Man Homecoming and a lot of people were just like, what? You're not going to see that movie? And I ended up not seeing it in theaters 
But when a couple of friends and I were hanging out one night, this movie came up, and next thing I know, we were watching it. Now, of course, I'm not going to say, no, I'm not going to watch that movie, because honestly, I really could care less. I was just not wanting to go see it in a theater, so here I am talking about it now. Now, Spider-Man has had a very interesting very interesting run with this copyright holder because it began with Sony and they had one reboot with Andrew Garfield off of the original original trilogy with Tobey Maguire and now they're here with uh, a new Spider-Man but this time Marvel has their hand in it and they can also have some creative control as well. So you have both Sony and Marvel working on the same film which I think is really really interesting. I wasn't the biggest fan of it and I, I don't think it's a bad movie. That's the thing. I don't think it's a bad movie. There are definitely points in it that I think are really stupid that's kind of meant to be that way maybe i'm just maybe it's just a case of i'm not the target audience here which i'm totally fine with at the same time i wasn't the biggest fan of it i think that michael keaton's character is kind of eh. it's kind of ironic too because he did come off of birdman in which he was a bird and now he's playing vulture here so that's kind of interesting but at the same time, I, I I guess I I wish I was into his character a bit more, into his villain character a bit more, because I don't really get that mindset like we do with a, a lot of other superhero movies that are that are not more modern. I think that he's very cartoony, which I get was the whole point, and that's very much Spider Man esque, and I that's fine with me. But at the same time, I it just didn't invest me. I think that's my biggest issue. This movie didn't really invest me very much. I think that. The new Spider-Man is fine. I think that he works really well as both Peter Parker and Spider-Man, but I kind of wanted to see him do more Spider-Man-y things, if that makes sense. I'm also not a very big fan of the humor here. I haven't really been the biggest fan of Marvel's humor. I find it to be fine. There are times when it's the joke's didn't land for me, and I think that they really easily could have. I think that... If you've read my review for The Big Sick, I'll get to that in a moment. It's kind of the same thing. Uh, the situational humor doesn't really work as well. I think that it could have been implemented better. The critic score actually does surprise me because it's so high at a 92%. Now, the audience score I kind of expected, but the critic score I think is really interesting. Usually, Marvel movies are pretty high in general, but this one it was like, this one was surprising to me because I didn't know how that new, a brand new Spider Man movie, I brand new reboot three times in like a decade i didn't know how that would go over so overall honestly i didn't really take much out of it i don't know how much i remember from it i think that there are things that were good there are things that are not so good i think that peter parker was fine i didn't really like michael keaton's character the side kick essentially in this movie is bearable overall it's fine 6 out of 10, I'll give it. go ahead and give it a mild recommend because I know a lot of people will enjoy it that aren't like me. I'm Like I said, I'm not the biggest fan of Marvel films, really superhero, modern superhero ones in general, more so Marvel. So that's my score. 6 out of 10, it's a mild recommend. So number 16, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Now the plot summary here is the Guardians must fight to keep their newfound family together as they unravel the mystery of Peter Quill's true parentage. The scores here are a critic score on Rotten Tomatoes for 83% and an audience score of 88%. So what are my thoughts? Now, I won't spend too much on this one because I have a written review on the website. Link in the description below if you want to read that. I'm just going to give my overall thoughts. You can go back and read that review if you want more detailed thoughts. 
this is honestly a little bit of a different take for the Guardians. I think that it actually works all right. Um, like I said in my review, there are themes in here that I actually really enjoy. And I think this is a great step for Marvel to go a little bit more deeper into their stories. And I think that it kind of works here. And it's fine for a putting the toes in the water kind of a deal. But at the same time, like every other Marvel movie, for me personally, it's not one you're going to get much out of. And that being said, I did enjoy a lot of the character development, except for Gamora. I think, I wish her character was expanded on more in this movie. She does have somewhat of an arc, but not really. I wish that her character was explored a lot more because she is one of my more favorite characters of the group. And I think that her character really could, really could help a lot more if they were to give more backstory and and things like that. I understand that her backstory is kind of one note. It's one that is explored in the first one. And she's a very, what you see is what you get kind of a character. And I get that, but I want more layers to her, I guess is what I'm trying, is what I'm trying to get at. I'm kind of the same with Spider-Man in this one. Like I said before, the only reason why I actually went to go see this is because my uncle was said, I would pay for your ticket if you went. And so I went ahead and said, well, in that case, I'm not going to not going to not go because it's a free movie. I didn't, and it wasn't like I was disappointed that I watched it or regretted that I watched it, but at the same time, I just didn't exactly enjoy it. Like I said, this is a written review. You can go read the rest of my detailed thoughts on the website, link in the description. So final score, if you will really, if you really want to know what it is, and you don't really want to see the movie or don't really want to read the review, it's a seven out of 10 with a mild recommend. Like I said, I think it's a good step for Marvel. I hope they go down this, this road, but this is the film that honestly, I was just like, I'm going to take a step back. This is, I'm not, I'm not invested. Okay, so now we're going to be moving on to our next category, which is films that I liked, but not taking much away. This is the fourth category, and there are also five films here. So number 15 is The Shack. Yes, uh, you heard that one correctly. Let me explain myself real quick before I before people get mad. So the plot summary here is a grieving man receives a mysterious personal invitation to meet with God at a place called The Shack. The score is here. The Rotten Tomatoes critic score is a 20% and an audience score of 78% with an IMDb score of 6.3. Now, what are my thoughts? Why is this so high in the list? Let me explain. If you've been following Christian movies, especially in the last few years, especially with pure flicks, you know that they're eh. I mean, if, you, if you're viewing them like a regular movie, then they're going to be eh for those who are definitely like those kind of movies. They are the best things ever for a lot of them. I personally am a bit more adamant to that. I think that they could do so much better, but for whatever reason, they don't. Say Goodnight Kevin is a perfect YouTube channel if you really want to see a critical view on Christian movies. And he's one that I actually take some of my, some of my ideas off of when it comes to like thinking on those movies because I think that his review style and his thoughts is really, really great for really comparing those movies to for, to movies that are made by Hollywood or the standard, as he says, the standard of other movies. Now, The Shack is a bit different because I actually went into this ready to just rip it to shreds because I heard that the book was really controversial in terms of how it presented its theology. And so I was actually kind of, kind of curious to see what the movie would have a take on that because I know that the book didn't do so hot when it came to, you know, those who look really deep into their theology. Now, for me, I didn't think that this movie really was controversial as much as the book seemed to be. I haven't read the book, but I hear that it is pretty controversial. Now, that being said, I did actually find it to be kind of surprising because of the way that it really handled the way that its theology was presented because I didn't expect it to be as well handled as it was. 
That being said, that does not make it a good movie. In fact, I think this movie is surprisingly and almost hurtfully mediocre. Obviously, the critics hated it at a 20%. The audience actually tend to, to like it. But the yeah, the critic score was very, very low. And I think that that is kind of justified. This movie is very weak. It is very, very shallow. And even though, like I said, the theology that is presented here is fine theology. And I think that it is not so controversial as far as I could tell with its theology. It's shallow theology. It's very surface level and it's something that you honestly could just do without not seeing at all just because it is so shallow and it's kind of surprising too because we have some pretty big names here like sam worthington octavia spencer tim mcgraw now usually you see one or two washed up actors in a christian film take left behind the new one for example you have nick cage as the main well not the main lead but one of the leads in the movie kind of like that you usually would get a more washed up actor that hasn't really done much in the last few years but this one's kind of interesting because octavia spencer is very still very active and i don't think she's very washed up sam worthington may be in that kind of a category but octavia spencer not so much and i think that they both do a pretty good job here i think sam worthington this is one of his better performances and that's saying a lot because sam worthington is kind of known for having pretty hammy performances i think that he does do a very good job here in terms of a christian movie of course i do think that some of the scenes um are kind of dark and especially for a christian movie it feels honestly kind of risky because of the themes and the things that they're talking about in this movie it feels very on the edge when it comes to a Christian movie. And there is one scene in particular in Sega Night Kevin. I'll, I'll link his review down below if you want really detailed thoughts because he does go into the movie. I'm just kind of giving my own general thoughts. He really dives deep into it, but there is one scene and I absolutely agree with what he says here that the scene when Sam Worthington returns to the shack and there's a scene where he kind of breaks down because he doesn't know where his daughter is. I think that that is a very powerful scene, and I think that he does a really good job there. That being said, unfortunately, some of the acting for the rest of the film is very cheesy and like almost like every other Christian movie, and I wish it wasn't that way. I wish this was the one that I could say, hey, that's actually not a bad movie. That's actually not a bad Christian movie. Unfortunately... It's, although it's high on the list because it surprised me, and I think that is one that more people should see and should really, in Christian movies, should really take off of by heading in this direction and not keeping it so safe, but also at the same time still learning a mess, so sending a message that isn't so preachy. This is one that is preachy and is one that is very obvious in what its message is, and its message is stated over and over again in like two hours. And it kind of gets to the point where it's like, okay, can we just, can we just move on? Because it's one thing, it's one thing to engage the audience, and if they want to invest themselves in the story, then they need to be, then they need to give their two cents and engage themselves, or just hand everything to them on a plate and let them just eat it up. That's kind of what this kind of what the shack does. It kind of just hands the audience all of its ideas and themes on a plate, and the audience is kind of forced to eat it because the movie restates the same themes over and over and over and over and over again until you absolutely understand after they've told you to your face 14 times that this is what the movie is saying. And this kind of where the movie begins to fall apart because it's, it's not... It's not like it's controversial, at least as far as, like I said, as far as I can tell, but it's something that I wish they would have left up to the audience to figure out for themselves. 
something that I think would have worked 10 times better for this movie and would have made it even more enjoyable. I would have given it a high score. So overall, I think that you should watch Sega Night Kevin's review. I'll link it in the description below. I think that this is going to be probably a 6 out of 10. Kind of interesting because Guardians 2 was 7 out of 10. This is going to be a 6 out of 10. It's a mild recommend. I do think that this is something that a lot of other Christian filmmakers should take off of. I think that this is something that is better than most, most Christian movies. That being said, mild recommend, 6 out of 10. All right, so number 14, this one's going to be controversial. The Big Sick. All right, so the plot summary here is a Pakistan-born comedian, Kumal Nani Jani, sorry if I said that name wrong, and grad student Emily Gardner fall in love but struggle with, but struggle as their cultures clash. When Emily contacts, contracts a mysterious illness, Kumal finds himself forced to face her parent, her feisty parents, his family's expectations, and his true feelings. Now here's something kind of interesting. The Rotten Tomatoes score is 98% with an audience score of 89% and an IMDb score of 7.7. So here are my thoughts. This is also one I wrote a review on. If you want more detailed thoughts, also link in the description, like everything else here. Um, but these are just more general thoughts over what I wrote in the review. I didn't really find this movie all that funny. I didn't really find it to be... At points, it was very engaging. And I think that the, after the first act, the movie gets like so much better. And uh, you I kind of talked about that in the review, and I'll talk about it here in a second. I think that the the middle portions of this movie and kind of the ending too, I think those are the best parts because that's when everyone begins to like grow and they begin their relationships are very much cemented, but at the same time, they're ones that these these characters feel pretty genuine. That being said, I don't think that the first act of this movie is all that good. I think it could have been much stronger. And I think that's kind of due to the fact that I didn't find it very funny. And this movie is definitely trying to be very funny. And as I stated in my, as I stated in my review, the fact of the matter is, unfortunately, the situational humor that is in this movie is not as strong as I wish it would have been. It's kind of it's kind of, eh. I think that the biggest thing is that I'm just not the target audience and I'm fine with that. I think that in the, in my review, I even said that even though I'm not the target audience, and I didn't like it. I'm still going to, I'm still going to recognize what is good here. And I think that every performance here is good. I think every performance here, especially by Kumal and even Ray Romano is really, really good. I think that they do a great job. I, uh, I think that even in the middle portion, it does things that not mo that not many romantic comedies do. And that's, the relationship with the parents and i and you don't see that very often and how those parents are not perfect they're actually really their marriage is really broken and i think that that really works here i'm glad that this movie you know went went down that road now of course like i guess i'm saying this in review it's i do bring up a question of now should a director's vision influence my score because this is very much a director's personal story and even though I didn't find the movie itself to be all that good, uh, I didn't enjoy it that much. I do recognize that this is a movie that is from the, from his heart, essentially. And I'm glad that he had that he has the talent to actually make something like this. I'm I'm pretty sure that a lot more people are going to enjoy it more than I did. But me personally, I find it to be kind of hammy. I, like I said, not the biggest fan of the humor, but there are a lot of really good strengths in it. And I think that this movie does do a lot of things really well. 
aside from my own opinions. So overall, I'll give it a seven out of 10. It is a pretty slight recommend in my own eyes, although I'm pretty sure a lot of other people will enjoy it. I personally did not. You can read my thoughts on the written review. Number 13 is Gifted. Plot summary here is Frank, a single man raising his child, prodigy niece Mary, is drawn into a custody battle with his mother. So the scores here are a, a Rotten Tomatoes critic score of 73% and an audience score of 85% and an IMDb score of 7.6%. So here are my thoughts. Gifted was quite an interesting movie and I think that the critic consensus on, on Rotten Tomatoes summarizes my thoughts near perfectly. The, this is what it says. Gifted isn't quite as bright as its pint-sized protagonist, but a charming cast rings respectably engaging drama out of a fairly predictable premise. I think that it honestly kind of just puts my own thoughts into perspective. This movie isn't that deep. It's pretty shallow and pretty surface level, but what it does do really well is the performances, and I think even the story works pretty well as to even though it is pretty shallow. Um, that being said, there is a lot of enjoyment to be found in this movie, and it's kind of like Ghost in the Shell, where it's more of American. It's more of an American style, um, very more of American style, and. And I think that Mark Webb, the director, after coming off of Amazing Spider-Man, did a lot better job here. I think that definitely one that I might return to in the in later days. It's not one that I think is all that strong, like I said. But the themes here are harmless. It's not really out to change your world perspective or anything like that. I think that the performances, especially from the girl here, are really, really good. And the chemistry between her and Chris Evans works really, really well here is not a thinking movie very what you see is what you get but that's not bad i don't think that that's necessarily one that needs to drag the score down so much that it becomes a not recommended a very low score i think that there is like i said enjoyment to be found here i think that it is kind of predictable at times just like the critic consensus came from from rotten tomatoes but at the same time it is a fun movie to watch and that's something i can't argue against and that's something that does raise the score and i think that mark webb did a much better job than than he did in the amazing spider-man there isn't much that i really want to say in this movie because like I, because it's not much to discuss and if i were to discuss more i think i'd be getting into spoilers and that's not the point here overall it's fun to watch nothing too special <laughs> which is kind of ironic because of the name but at the end, 7 out of 10, it is a pretty solid recommend, more of a lighter solid recommend. I think that you will find it pretty enjoyable. It's not one that I think, like I said, going to change your view on anything, but it is very enjoyable. 7 out of 10, mild recommend. So number 12 is The Glass Castle. Plot summary is a a young girl comes of age in a dysfunctional family of a nonconformist nomads with a mother who's an eccentric artist and an alcoholic father who will stir the children's imagination with hope as a distraction to their poverty. So the score is here. The Rotten Tomato score is a 50% and an audience score of 74% and an IMDb score of 7.2. So my thoughts. When I walked out of the theater, I actually really, really enjoyed this movie. But as time went on, and like I said before, I usually tend to rate movies as how much I remember from them and how much I take away later down the road. And this was, and I watched the movie in the theater, which is, I think, it was earlier in the fall. And there isn't much I'm taking away from it, to be honest. Now, there are scenes that I do remember, and I think that that is very much something that I'm going to keep in mind and something that I think will raise the score of the film. There are things of this movie that I think could have been done better. Uh, my thoughts here are also kind of short because there are a lot of deeper themes, and this movie does kind of take advantage of its PG-13 rating. 
but I wish that they would have dove deeper into those, if that makes sense. I think that Woody Harrelson did a really good job, and I think that, I don't know if he got an Oscar for it, but he did do a good job. I think that Brie Larson, once again, does a good job. Everyone here really does a really, really good job, as you know, per usual, I think, with those, at least Woody Harrelson and Brie Larson do. Once again, uh, there are scenes that I do really like, and I found Woody Harrelson especially to be really good. But I did get a really big The Witch vibe in terms of family dynamics and family conflict. And I think that there are things, there are good things that this movie is trying to say. It's not trying to say anything terrible. And the, there are scenes, like I said, that are rememberable. And I do remember those. To be fair, this movie does have some pretty hard-hitting stuff in it. And if you're one that has come from an alcoholic family, maybe you won't enjoy this one nearly as much. But me personally, when I walked out, my initial thoughts were I really enjoyed it. But after thinking about it for a couple of months, I'm not remembering too much that I really won't want to take away from it. That's kind of my big deal. That being said, I'm going to give it also a 7 out of 10 with a mild recommend. This is something that I think I wouldn't mind going back to as well. Same with the last one I previewed. So number 11 is Logan. Uh, the plot summary is, in the near future, a weary Logan cares for an ailing Professor X somewhere on the Mexican border. However, Logan's attempts to hide from the world and his legacy are upended when a young mutant arrives, pursued by dark forces. The score is here, the Rotten Tomato, where critic score is a 93%, with an audience score of 90%, and an IMDb score of 8.1. So what are my thoughts? Now, I have to preface, I don't really have many ties to the X-Men series. Um, I have seen X-Men 1, 2, and Wolverine Origins, and of course this one now. But... I watched those when they were all first released. I think that X-Men 1, I actually did see pretty recently a few years ago, and I actually ended up enjoying it. That being said, I don't have an emotional connection to the Wolverine character. He's one that I, for one reason or another, I just haven't really gotten into. Keep that in mind when I talk about this movie, because if I were to watch it again and get a deeper understanding of the character and understand more of where his character, how his character got to this point in the movie, then maybe I'll get more invested into it. Cause I know, I know a lot of people were like, this is so good. It's like the best superhero movie of all time and things like that. I personally didn't see it as that, but I don't think that it is all bad in any sense of the word, because in ter in, in the way that IHG states, this is a refresher for superhero movies, which is kind of surprising because I'm not a Marvel guy, but yeah, if you know your copyright, this is not Marvel Studios, this is Fox. I think my biggest issue is how the emotion was handled in this movie in terms of when there are deaths that happen, I think the movie moves on way too quick and should have centered and focused itself on that scene a bit more to kind of pull me out, pour more out of me because I feel like we just moved on too quick. And for a guy, of course, who hasn't seen the other Wolverine movies and have an emotional attachment to these uh, two characters, Professor X and Logan, I don't think that it really did the best job here in terms of emotion when it should have dragged out just a couple, I say even like 30 seconds longer or longer than that would have made it almost perfect. I think this movie really should have pulled out just a little bit longer. I think that I would have been more invested for a guy who hasn't seen those other movies and doesn't have that emotional attachment. I do think that their mutant sidekick character should have been implemented more. He doesn't really do so much except for kind of as a plot device. That was something that I wish they would have talked about more or explored more because I do actually like his character. He's very interesting and he reminds me a lot of Mad Max. In fact, this movie is very Mad Maxian, which I think is kind of interesting. But with all that being said, it is, like I said, a great departure from the formulaic superhero movies, and Logan really focused his story really well, which I 
really enjoyed. In fact, the character of Logan goes through such a change from what, not only what I remember seeing of him, but from the beginning and the end of the movie that I think that Hugh Jackman does a great performance here and maybe even get an Oscar for it. That's, of course, it's a possibility right now. I want to talk about that at the end, but I think he does a great job here and that's something that I cannot stress enough and something that I cannot say didn't go well. I think that this movie is also very brutal. It doesn't hold back at all anymore. It's just something that's kind of went kind of pulled a Deadpool and it was just like, no, this is how the movie needs to go because this is the most logical way. Some may disagree with that in terms of Deadpool, but I think that this one is much better than Deadpool is. And I think that this one focuses itself a bit more than Deadpool does. I think that this is something that I thought was very interesting. And at the same time, as I said before, if I had more attachment to the character, maybe I would have been more invested in it. I think one of my also one of my small earlier issues is the climax. Um, it wasn't signposted. It was it kind of just happened. And the next thing I know, the ending is there, and I'm like, oh, so that was the end. And I wish that that would have been signposted a bit better. But that's not to say I didn't enjoy it. I do think that the character of Laura and and their connection is pretty good but i wanted more out of it especially from her character i wanted her to i guess talk some more and have more of a connection with logan because i didn't really feel it there towards the end i think that there could have been a bigger a more more cemented connection although i do think that she did a great job especially with being uh also kind of being a wolverine herself the score of this movie is not going to represent what i think of superhero movies it's going to represent what i think of the movie itself right and like I said before, being not a big fan of superhero movies, this one did surprise me. And I, I do take account of that. And there are still scenes that I remember from this movie talking about it now after seeing it in the theater way back when it was first released at the beginning of the year. So, and I, and maybe my rating would change if I were to go back and see everything, everything else X-Men. So at the end of the day, eight out of 10, it's a solid recommend, especially if you're a fan of superhero movies and are a fan of the X-Men or Wolverine in general. All right, moving right along. This next category is films I enjoyed or liked. This is the third category, and this has four films in it. Number 10. This is the top 10 now, so this is getting closer to my top picks of the year. So number 10, Wonder Woman. The thought summary here is when a pilot crashes and tells of conflict in the outside world, Diana, an Amazonian warrior in training, leaves her home to fight a war, discovering her full powers and true destiny. The scores here are from Rotten Tomatoes is a critic score of 92% and an audience score of 88% with an IMDb score of 7.6. So what are my thoughts? Now, if you know me really well, you know I actually tend to lean towards the side of DC than I do Marvel. And the reason for this is because I find that DC takes a bit more risks than Mar than Marvel does. Now, that doesn't mean they always work. In fact, most of the time they don't because of the Suicide Squad or Zack Snyder. But they do take risks. And that's something that I have to factor into my enjoyment and how much I think works or doesn't work is because of how much risk they pull. And I think that Wonder Woman is the best DC movie since... Batman Begins. I'll say that. I think that that is a very strong, also not something that is hard, to, not something that is much of an achievement because Man of Steel and Batman v Superman and Suicide Squad were all kind of not great. But that does mean a lot for Wonder Woman and DC in general. I've heard that Justice League didn't do so well. I haven't seen it. But I do think that Wonder Woman, for what it's worth and for what it was trying to do, works really well. 
And I can't get over some of the themes that are talked about in this movie, like free will. Now, these are themes that are brought up in other superhero movies, obviously, but this one really hammers in that theme of free will. And I think that it does it really, really well. And I'm glad that this is something that I was able to see in the theater because, and maybe I'll even watch it again or even own it on Blu-ray just because I enjoyed it that much. And the themes of it are heavier. And I was glad to see that, not just a bunch of action just for action's sake. I think that Gal Gadot did a really great job as Diana. And this is something that I was surprised to see so standalone and somewhat connected to the other DC movies. But it felt like it didn't need to be made, but it made itself anyways because it wasn't connected to its universe in terms of how a story affects the rest of the universe. It's just a backstory to what Wonder Woman, who Wonder Woman is and how she became Wonder Woman. I think that's very interesting. I, that's not something that Marvel does. That being said, that's also something I need to mention is the fish out of water story. I'm not the biggest fan of fish out of water, those fish, those fish out of water story. I think they did it really, really well. It handled it the best way it could, where it recognized that that is something that's going to happen, but doesn't linger on it. In fact, when it does happen, it actually affects the story in a much better way than I would have expected. I was, when she, when she becomes that fish out of water character, I was like, oh great, here we go. The movie's just going to tank. It doesn't. In fact, it actually makes the movie somewhat better in ways because of her ignorance, I guess. She doesn't know what's happening outside of her island and to see that and to see her more pure brain than everybody else's of world and everybody else's who's fighting in World War One was very interesting to see. And I think that that scene when she goes out in the battlefield for the first time is honestly kind of powerful and actually really well done. Except for one detail that I have to address, which is Wonder Woman's suit. Now, the suit itself does not look bad in any, in any sense. I think that my problem is with this scene, the emotions are loosely connected when it comes to how Gal Gadot is expressing herself versus, what, versus the scene that's happening behind her because her suit looks kind of ridiculous on the battlefield compared to everybody else who has uniforms on. That being said, I, I don't think that that takes away too much of the emotion for me. It kind of pulled me out of the movie for a little bit, but it's something that I was able to get over and it's kind of a nitpick to be honest with you. But at the same time, I do want to address that because I do think that that is something that I find to be kind of critical. Uh, that being said, the rest of the scene is great and most of the scenes in this are really, really good. Although the climax is also, is also something that I also want to talk about, it really hammers in this theme, of course, of free will, and then it kind of goes more of generic superhero movie, which I didn't exactly enjoy. It's fun to watch, don't get me wrong, but at the same time, it's... I wish it would have dove deeper, I guess. It wouldn't have been so, I guess, predictable. Also, the villain himself looks kind of silly, to be honest with you. I think that there are just... There's some things that are clashing in terms of its reality. But I got to say, for a superhero movie, this is a bit more expressionistic than really anything else Marvel does. In fact, DC tends to be more that way, is more expressionistic, where Marvel seems to be a bit more realistic. And I think that that really works in terms of differentiating which 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 side you want to be on, Marvel versus DC. Now, I hear, I hear that the TV shows are a bit different, and I haven't seen any of the DC or Marvel TV shows. I've only seen the movies. But with that being said, I do really like the more expressionistic kind of style here. Overall, I think Wonder Woman was great and really impressed me by how good it was, especially compared to its other predecessors, BVS and Man of Steel, which were both kind of eh, 
like I said, the ending is a bit more cartoony than I would have liked. With that being said, I'm going to go ahead and say this movie's going to get an 8 out of 10. It's a pretty solid recommend. I would, I'm kind of glad I went to go see it. And maybe, like I said, maybe it'd be something I own later in life. Okay, so number nine is Star Wars The Last Jedi. Oh, man. Haven't seen a movie that's more divided in a while. So here's a plot summary. Rey develops her newly discovered abilities with the guidance of Luke Skywalker, who is unsettled by the strength of her powers. Meanwhile, the Resistance prepares for battle with the First Order. The scores here are very divided, with a critic score on Rotten Tomatoes of 91% and an audience score of 51% and an IMDb score of 7.6. So what are my thoughts? First off, I see where a lot of the audience is coming from when they say that this ruins Star Wars. I don't agree with it because I think that there are things that work really, really well here. And I would really want to see where else they take it. That being said, in terms of how the movie itself is constructed, that's where most of my criticism comes from. And although this is the longest Star Wars movie to date at two hours and 32 minutes, I think that it is a bit too long. I think that the Finn and Rose side story should probably be cut. I don't really see how it does much for Finn's character in Rose's character. Honestly, didn't really need to be there. I did not find it very interesting. I felt that the casino world that they went to was bland and kind of sad because every other casino world that's been shown on Star Wars has honestly been kind of interesting and really well designed. This one not so much. I think that I think that the most interesting parts of this movie is the Luke and Rey story. And I think that the movie should have focused its, its time a lot more on that. I'll talk about that in a second. But it also comes off, especially in the first hour, as being really choppy. And that's kind of where I the movie begins to pull me out. Because honestly, there are times when it just moves on too quick from one scene to another. Because it cuts back and forth between the Resistance and what they're doing. And Ray and Fluke and what they're doing. And then once Finn goes off on his, by his own, it cuts between those three and what they're all doing. And it not, it's not like it becomes confusing or anything, but it just becomes choppy because it, it doesn't take as much time, I think, as it should to really develop those scenes and explore those themes and things, and things like that. I think that they could have, like I said, cut Finn's side plot, did something else with it, because I think that this movie is too long. Two hours and 32 minutes for a Star Wars film. I'm not about, I'm not, that's not to say that a Star Wars film shouldn't be this long. I think that regardless of runtime, a film should be as long as it needs to be to make it a good story. But at the same time, there needs to be something meaningful behind it. I also think that, unfortunately, I wish the resistance when they're being chased by the Empire, I do kind of wish that there was more that they did in terms of what was happening because it doesn't there isn't really a sense of progression up until the very end of the movie when they when they have to do something that I can't give away because that's a spoiler. Now Ray has a very big sense of progression. And I think her character is handled really well in this as much as I wanted to see her more of. I think that the movie handled that really well. And that was more what it was going for. That was his main points and that's fine. But my problem is I wanted more from the resistance themselves because you had Poe and you had Finn that are the two main characters of the resistance. Chewie kind of, he's more just a side character now. He doesn't really have much development to him. But with that being said, I do think that in terms of the Luke and Luke and Ray subplot and how they talk about the force. I think this is where the movie shines and this is where the movie handles itself almost perfectly. Kind of. I think that it's discussions on the force are really, really engaging. And this is the point in the movie. These points in the movies where it's when I was really engaged and I was really invested. I was like, okay, what now? Tell me what else. Cause it's, it, 
really dives deep into the religion of the Jedi, not so much the Force and everything else around it, but it actually acts as a religion, and Rey learns from that. And of course, you know, it's very Buddhist-esque in terms of how its religion is practiced, but at the same time, it's interesting stuff, and you learn from it, and it feels like an actual religion, and I'm glad that they did that, and I wanted to see more, except the fact that they keep cutting back and forth between everything else in the movie that I don't think should have gotten as much focus as it does, and it kind of almost ruins, it almost ruins it, but I don't think it does necessarily, because what what they do give us between Luke and Rey is really, really well done, and I think that this movie could have, I think, like I said, should have should have waited longer on those scenes and should have really put into perspective what is happening with Ray. And I think that Adam Driver's character, when he's sure this, is pretty funny. Overall, I did really enjoy it. I got to see it. I think I got to see it. Yeah, I got to see it in the IMAX. Not 3D, just the IMAX. I know that this is has a lot of fans divided and I don't I see what they're getting at but I don't necessarily see where it ruins Star Wars. I think that this is a very good spot because with this new trilogy it's kind of been going to show what new they can do with it and I'm glad to see that they are really taking risks and I like to see that. I want to see where else they go with it. So overall, it is pretty enjoyable. It is a lot of fun. Um the ending climax is pretty great. I'm going to give this a 7 out of 10 and a solid recommend. This is one that I think it could end up being really well for the rest of the franchise. Okay, number eight is Mother from Darren Aronofsky. Uh, the plot summary here is a couple's relationship is tested when an uninvited guests arrive at their home, disrupting their tranquil existence. Now, the scores here for Rotten Tomatoes is a critic score of 69%, an audience score of 50%, and an IMDb score of 6.8. So what are my thoughts? Now, this movie also was kind of divided on <laughs> what this movie actually is. Um, not not in ter- not only in terms of what the movie what the movie is trying to say, but also what Darren Aronofsky is doing. Because some people thought that this movie was his one of the big, one of his more bigger flops. I don't necessarily see it as that. Some people think that this is one more of his worst, or his comes off as very pretentious. That I can see being the pretentious part. I can see. Um, but personally, I actually really enjoyed it. I mean, enjoyed it as much as you can with a Darren Aronofsky movie. But I did learn quite a number of things that I think only Darren Aronofsky could really show and could really leave that kind of an impact um, with this kind of films. If you've seen Requiem for a Dream, uh, it's kind of kind of similar to that. Really, all of his films are very similar style and very similar construction. I think that Pi, I've also seen Pi of his, also is very similar. Noah is one of his more, one of his exceptions from what I can tell. Remember earlier when I said that Wonder Woman was kind of more expressionistic for a superhero film? This one is even more so. This is very expressionistic, more abstract than the normal moviegoers would really understand, I think. I think that's one of the bigger one of the more bigger flaws that people think tend to have with it is that they don't understand it. It's just one that seems to go off the wall there towards the end and becomes very abstract and things just kind of happen without without a real understanding of what exactly is happening. Some people hate this film. And I think that, that some of this criticism is justified. There are points of this movie that are really going to, are going to be a really big turnoff for a lot of people because of how much Darren Aronofsky dares to show in his rate in his, in his movies. And I think that with mother, it's pretty similar to his other films. Um, Darren Aronofsky is known for just mentally destroying his audience when the climax of the movies happen, and Mother is no exception to that. 
Now, personally, I actually really did enjoy Mother in terms of how the film was constructed and what the film was trying to say. I don't, of course, I don't enjoy the ending, but that's kind of the thing you don't, are not supposed to enjoy the ending of this movie. It's something that you're kind of supposed to walk on and be like, oh, crap, you know. I think that it is very thought-provoking, and it's something that I think is one of those films that should be discussed when you leave the theater, and it's something that me and my roommates discussed for about three hours after we left the theater. But one of my bigger issues with this is being how expressionistic and as abstract as it is, the mood, the story itself kind of begins to suffer because things happen without a good sense of logically making the connection. Now, if you see the film, you might understand what I mean, but there are things that begin in this movie... There are things that happen in this movie that I don't think are explained very well. Now, in terms of what the film was trying to say and the message and everything, it didn't make sense. Like I said, it's very expressionistic. It's going to have a, another meaning to it than what the film is showing, right? And it, of course, is very biblical. I don't know how theologically sound this movie is going to be. Um, that's not my territory to really talk about. But I think also another criticism I have is that... Being as hard-hitting as it is, it's not a film I'm going to be able to walk back and watch again at any point in time. Maybe down the road I'll be able to see it again, but this is one that you're not going to be able to want to watch very often, if ever again. I think that's the point, though. I think that's the point of the movie is to not is to kind of see it once and understand, see it once and go with it after that and understand that what the movie's trying to say. But at the same time, this movie is kind of hidden in its message. Um, which is also kind of the point of the movie. But at the same time, they sh I think that there should have been a more clearer message to it in terms of how the audience is supposed to understand from getting to these logical points that uh, to them may not seem logical if they don't understand what the movie is going for. Um, that being said, I really found this movie to be very thought-provoking and very risky as well because of some of the things that Darren Aronofsky is known for showing in his films. I think that this is something that not a lot of audiences are going to enjoy because of the fact that it is so abstract. So overall, I really did enjoy it. Uh, if you get sick easily from gore uh, and some things like that, you're not going to want to watch this one because the ending of this movie is very intense. And there were points at the end of this movie where I actually physically felt sick which is exactly what the movie was trying to go for. And in terms of that, it, it succeeded. And that being said, if you're oh, sensitive to that kind of material, I wouldn't go for it. It's something that is very, it really hits really hard there at the end. So in the, in the, at the end of the day, it's an 8 out of 10 with a solid recommend. I think that this is one that has very, would have really good discussion on not only what the movie is trying to say, but also the theology behind it. So number seven is Murder on the Orient Express. The plot summary here is when a murder occurs on the train he's traveling on, celebrated detective Herco Piort is recruited to solve the case. The score here is the same between critic and audiences on Rotten Tomatoes with both with a 58% and a IMDb score of 6.8. When I watched the movie, I heard that I saw the scores and I was just like, I wonder why this movie is so low. It wasn't one that I was actually planning on seeing because of the score. But then when I watched out of the when I watched out of the theater, or even in the first fifteen minutes, I was like, "What? What's the problem? I don't understand why everyone why these scores were so low." Because I was really enjoying it, and I was becoming very engaged with the story and what and watching the mystery unfold and trying to figure out, you know, who done it and things like that. 
But from what I can understand, compared to the original that was released back, I think, in the 70s, it doesn't hold up. In fact, the original is a lot better. I haven't seen it. Uh, maybe someday I'll be able to watch it. And that is not going to be a part of my own criticism because I haven't seen it, obviously. That being said, I really enjoyed it. And I found, like I said, to be very engaging. And that mystery of whodunit was one that I didn't expect. I think that this movie does a really good job at keeping the audience on the edge of their seat, but also trying to guess and also trying to piece it all together for themselves. This movie handles that really well. It's got an all-star cast here, including Binneth, Brana, Daisy Ridley, Johnny Depp, Penelope Cruz, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Josh Gad with a bunch of people too, but those are the big names here. And I found that to be very interesting. I also loved how secluded this movie is. It could be anybody here. And the murderer has to be on the train because there's no other logical way that the, that the killer would have gotten in. I think in terms of criticism, this is a nitpick, really. The CGI on the train when it has those outward shots looks eh. But then again, this isn't what the movie's going for. That's more of a nitpick. I'm not going to count it against the movie. Um, that's just something that is there really to more of a transition between scenes or one thing or another. You know, It's not something that is integral to the story. So I don't really have much to say. It's kind of hard to really talk about this movie without giving away too many spoilers for it. Uh, so I'm just going to give my rating and move on. This is going to be an 8 out of 10. It's totally recommend. I think that this is really good. Uh, maybe if I watch the original, my rating will change. I don't know. I haven't seen it. Maybe someday I'll get around to it. Okay, on to the next category. This is category number two with the films that I love. There are three here. And this is when things are starting to get very serious. This is where I think some of the better films of the year are being released. These are the, some of the films that I found the most enjoyment out of. So without further ado, let's get into it. Number six is Dunkirk. The plot summary here is the Allied soldiers from Belgium, the British Empire, and France are surrounded by the German army and evacuated during a fierce battle in World War II. The score is for Rotten Tomatoes. The critics have it at 92% with an audience score of 81% and an IMDb score of 8.1. Of so if you know Nolan, you know that the last his last two films haven't really been his strongest, I would say. That does not mean that they're bad. They aren't because no one has consistently made great movies. I think that the last two, Interstellar and Dark Knight Rises, are his more weaker films in terms of his construction. But this one, this is his first time, I think, that he actually went off on his own, wrote and directed by himself, Dunkirk. And this is something that I hear is kind of more of a personal story for him because he comes from Europe. I heard that over in the other side of the pond, they do have that saying of remember Dunkirk, kind of like I'll remember the Alamo here in America. So I think that this is this works really, really well. And I think that Nolan does a fantastic job once again. I think that this is, as I stated in my review, this is his best looking movie that he's made to date. And that's saying a lot because his movies look amazing. And one of my favorite movies from him is The Dark Knight. And that movie looks incredible. And I think this one looks even better. That's a lot to say. And he has this new DOP and I'm excited to see where else he's going to go with him. In terms of criticism, I do think, like I said in my review, the music, I think, could have been toned down a bit more. There are points when it really, really works and works really, really well. There are points when it kind of is annoying. And for an hour and 45 minutes of that same ticking back and forth for that long of a time, it becomes annoying personally for me. There is that sigh of relief, of course, at the end. Uh, it's not really a spoiler. I do think that no one does a really good job, though, with his with his more visual storytelling um, aspect of this movie. Because in the first 20 minutes, there is no dialogue, which is so unlike no one. In fact, this entire movie is very unlike no one because he likes the dialogue-driven, kind of exposition-heavy scenes. 
there isn't that much here. There's very little dialogue compared to his other movies. He really likes those complex stories with very big twists and turns and likes to talk about complex themes. Not so much here. This one is more of pretty steady and stays on this one level of what the story is. It never really moves outside of that. You honestly usually have really really complex characters and this one, not so much. And that's kind of one of my more stronger criticisms too is that with the lack of characters... Some kind of may come some lack of investment into the into the action. I did kind of feel that, but I don't think it's as big as a criticism as I as it comes off as being. And it's something something I'm definitely gonna own on Blu-ray. I think that gone with the complex ideas. He does have the way he does keep the audience engaged by where in the timeline they are at because he does have three storylines happening at one time at three different times. And not all at the same time, because I think that, that that's a pretty good move for him because it does bring in the audience and them trying to figure out, okay, where are we at at this point in time in the overall story? And it makes you look back and understand where different points in the movie have taken place and how that affects points later into the movie. I think that's really handled really, really well. So overall, I think that this is really good for Noah. I think that him kind of moving away from the more complex side of storytelling and more moving more into these simplified styles of storytelling is a good thing for him. Not to say that any of his previous stuff is bad in terms of complexity. I think it's really handled really well, but I also want to see what, Noah, what else Noah can do with his style put into like a different platform. Overall, I think no one uh, did, a great, did a great job. 8 out of 10, high recommend for this one. Okay, so number five is Baby Driver. The plot summary here is after being coerced into, into working for a crime boss, a young getaway driver finds himself taking part in a heist doomed to fail. The score is here from Rotten Tomatoes is a critic score of 93% and an audience score of 86% and an IMDb score of 7.7. Now, this is my second... This would have been my second Edgar Wright movie that I had seen. I've seen three of his, that being Scott Pilgrim, which we have reviewed. I've seen Hot Fuzz and this one. And so far of those three films, I've enjoyed all three of them very, very much. And this is one of, I think this is, of the three that I've seen, this is, I put this probably right underneath Scott Pilgrim, which is my number one for him. I think that he does a very fantastic job here. And then I know people kind of criticize it for not being as deep in terms of the construction, because Eddie Wright is known for putting a lot of things in the background just for fun or even engaging the story even more and making you theorize a bit more just because of things he's put in the background. He doesn't do that as much here. It's He spent more time editing really in, in anything here, especially editing to the music, because the music in this movie is, I think, perfect for this movie. In fact, every action scene is put to a song, and everything that happens in that action scene is put to the beat of the music. And if there is one word I can give this movie that I think summarizes it completely is satisfying. This movie does a great job at satisfying its audience because of how those beats and how those hits and the action scenes hit perfectly on one on one another. And I think that this is definitely where the movie's built around, and there's a reason for it too. I think in terms of criticism, it could have been much deeper in terms of his characters, baby, although a good although Elgort does a good job here, I think that maybe he maybe he could have gotten some more dialogue in, more writing, because he doesn't do bad, but at the same time, there's not much to his character, which is kind of the point. But at the same time, I wanted, kind of wanted more. Although I do think that I do think that Jimmy Fox did a great job as Bats. I think that he's a very interesting character. In fact, all the characters here are really interesting, to be honest with you. I think that, that Edgar Wright does a really good job with characters, usually. And these are very interesting characters, very interesting and 
very engaging as well. Uh, the story does kind of take a backseat in this one. It's not the most engaging story like Scott Pilgrim was, which is more of an adaptive work, or Hot Fuzz was. I think that that's also kind of going to the point. I Wright spent more time making sure that the music was synced and that the action scenes were filmed correctly and more than the story was. And I think that even though there's a lack of story, I don't think it hurts the film as much as it might seem. I think that Baby Driver does a really good job at action scenes and Edgar Wright continues to impress me with how he films those. And I'm glad to see that Edgar Wright was put on this was put on this work. I'm glad to see that Edgar Wright is still making great movies and being so young too. I'm glad to, I'm excited to see where else he can go. So overall, I'm going to give this a 9 out of 10 with a pretty high recommend. If you haven't seen it, it's a lot of fun. I would highly, highly recommend it. Okay, so number four is a ghost story. Now, the plot summary here is, in this singular exploration of legacy, love, loss, and the enormity of existence, a recently deceased white-sheeted ghost returns to his suburban home to try to reconnect with his barefoot wife. The scores here are a Rotten Tomato score of 90% and an audience score of 65% and an IMDb score of 6.9. So here's my thoughts. This is also another film that I reviewed uh, on the website, link in the description below. I'm not going to get too deep into these thoughts because you can just read that and uh, those thoughts still kind of hold up to today. I did get to see it again after I watched it in the theater for the first time and then wrote the review on it. So my thoughts are pretty fresh. Uh, they are not changing as much as I thought they would from the written review. So since I watched this film in the theater, the score for it, not my own score, but the score online has dropped. Uh, like I said, the audience really didn't take a liking to this film. And I found that to honestly not be surprising at all. Because as I said, with Mother, that one being very expressionistic and abstract, this one is even more so expressionistic and abstract. But this one, I think, does it better than mother, what Mother does. Because it, you can actually follow the logical steps in terms of scene to scene, whereas in Mother, the events were not so logically tied together, I don't think. That being said, I don't think this is going to be a film for everyone. This is something that a lot of people are going to find too slow and too artsy-fartsy, and something that I think is not necessarily a criticism for me, but is not meant to be rewatchable. It is only an hour and a half, but it's very slow. And that being said, I think that the pace is almost perfect for it, for what it's trying to go for. But I, it's not a film I'm going to be going back and watching it oftentimes because it is so slow. But like I said, that's not the sole reason where I rate my movies. I rate by how much I take away from them. And this was one that I absolutely take away a lot from because of how philosophical it is. And I think that this movie does handles all of that really, really well, which is what's the, what is the meaning of life? What does legacy even mean? And at the very at the very end of it, what is love? And I think that this movie handles those really, really well in a very simplified story. This is very this movie is very simple. And it's not so much about the story as much as it is about the ideas. And I think that this movie handles all that really well. I think the music is great. The editing is great. The cinematography is something that I need to talk about because I noticed it even more my second time when I was watching it by how amazing it looks. This is one of those movies, and I mean this, Dunkirk is kind of the same way, but I mean it more so here. This is one that you could possibly at almost any point and frame it because of how great and how amazing it looks. And especially with the aspect ratio being that 4-3 with the curved corners, I think that, that works even better because of how this movie looks. And it looks like, like I said in my review, it's like a home video, like we're looking in on this couple on this couple's life. And at times it feels uncomfortable. And it's going for that. And the movie's going for that kind of emotion. I think that it handles it 
really, really well. After seeing it a second time, I'm so glad that I own it on Blu-ray now because it's one of those that I can go back and watch and think a lot more about those kinds of questions. And I'm glad that this kind of a film exists and it's kind of sad that this movie didn't really get all the recognition that it, I guess, could have gotten. This is a director's vision, I think. At least that's what it seems like. David Lowry only spent a couple of weeks writing the script and I think that it doesn't really show. It feels like a script that took him a long time to, to write out. At points, maybe some people can see where he only took a few, only took a couple of weeks, but for me, I don't see it. I think that there are I think there are a lot of things that are fantastic. One of those is Rooney Mara's pie scene. This is one of my more favorite points of the movie because of that depiction of despair, which is we does a really great job of portraying, and all without much dialogue, really. In fact, if you've seen Eraserhead, I kind of rem- I kind of relate this movie to Eraserhead. That being that this movie is very. Um, not dialogue driven. There is one scene where there's a lot of dialogue and a very big exposition dump. I think that is one of my more one of my criticisms is that I wish that that exposition dump, which I talk about in more detail in my review, could have been fleshed out more into the movie. But at the same time, for what we get, this is a great one, and I'm glad I got to see it in the theater and I got to see it again with Corbin. And I don't know if he has the same thoughts as I do, but at the same time. I took away so much from this movie, and it's something that I always go for as well. And my ratings is how much I take away. Not only over time, but in general, like overall. So all said and done, I'm going to give this a 9 out of 10 with a high recommend. I think this is one that is actually kind of important, which is surprising. I think this is something that I'm going to be take away, taking away a lot from because I'm learning so much and how much and kind of learning, as the film says, to really take more of an advantage of your life, if that makes sense. Okay, now we're at the very last category, which is the best of the year. There are three of these. These are the final three. These are the three best films that I found this year. This list, especially the last two, was very hard, (laughs) very hard to construct because I love these films, these last three films to death. And I think that they are great. I've I've seen one of them twice, and I'm sure you know which one it is. But that being said, the other two that I have seen, I've learned so much and I've gotten so much out of them. And the more that I think about it, the more that I really, really enjoy both of them. So let's get into it. Number three is Lady Bird. The plot summary here is in the early 2000s, an artistically inclined 17-year-old comes of age in Sacramento, California. This one was surprising because for a long time, this had a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Up until I think one or there was one critic that gave it a rotten score and it tanked the score from 100% to 99%, which it remains at today with an audience score of 83% and an IMDb score of 8.2. Like I said before, this is one of those movies that the more I think about it, the more I really, really like it. And it's kind of interesting because I had this actually at the number two spot and even the number one spot at one point when I was constructing this list, but then I moved down to number three. I think that's the perfect spot for it. I think that this movie is really, really good. In fact, I even got to say that with the director being, this being the director's really, I guess, second film. I, with this being her first film, she did a fantastic job, especially at portraying a teenage life, not only in the early 2000s, but whatever, but everything that she's trying to say. And I learned so much and got so much of this movie that I'm so glad I got to see it. I even got to see it in an indie theater in Dallas, Texas. And I was actually kind of surprised that I was able to see it because I actually didn't know I was going to be able to see it before I compiled this list this year. And so when I did get to go see it, I was very excited and I'm glad I got to because this movie moves for an indie film. It moves so fast and I'm glad that it, I'm glad that it did because it kind of go had a different take on indie films too. That's not too big of a deal, but at the same time, I'm glad it was as fast paced as it was. 
I remember in my Edge of 17 review, I stated that some of the conversations in this movie were so realistic at times that it felt like I was actually there. Like I was actually in that conversation because I've had those conversations and I've been in those situations that the movie that there are times in the movie when they're having these conversations that I find to be so really well written in terms of how realistic, how realistic the dialogue is. This one is no exception. I think that Lady Bird is as much as I loved Edge of 17 and how much the dialogue worked there. I think Lady Bird is all of those scenes that I said I loved throughout the entire hour and a half runtime. Uh, there are scenes in this movie where I was so engulfed in what they were saying because I've been there and those are situations and dialogue and sayings that those characters would say at that time because whoever wrote this movie, which is the, which is the director, really knows how to write. And those conversations between whatever characters are on screen are so realistic and so engaging and so well-written that it I couldn't help but be sucked in with it. And I think that Lady Bird did a fantastic job. I think that Lady Bird is one that I will own on Blu-ray and will return to oftentimes, not because of how how, how fast-paced it is or how funny it is, which I'll talk about that in a moment, but also by how realistic this movie is, by how it's not afraid to show the realistic side of life and that even though traumatizing things happen in our lives, Lady Bird, the character of Lady Bird kind of just moves on from it. And we don't really see too big of ramifications coming out of different situations. I think that this movie handles that really, really well. And speaking of humor, I think that this movie has really, really good humor as well. I think that it's very, very funny. And it was surprising to me how funny it actually was because I didn't know, I didn't, I was hoping it wouldn't be another the big sick where the humor just didn't capture me. But I think that this kind of situation humor works really, really well. And I'm glad that this movie, I wasn't really afraid to show the realistic side of life, but still find the funniest of it and still find those moments where it needed to be funny. And I'm glad that it did that. And this is something that I will return to in later days because of how fun it is and how great it is. And it's and because of its realism, it comes off as very documentary-esque, almost like I'm watching someone's life being professionally shot, which is a huge compliment, I would, I would say. So oh, and all said and done, I'm going to give this film, and maybe if I see it again, the rating will even change. I'm mean, Right now, it's going to be a 9 out of 10, but with a high, high recommend. Like I said, the more I think about it, the more I really enjoy it. And for right now, it's 9 out of 10, but maybe if I see it again, it'll raise to a 10. Okay, number two. This is where the list got really, really hard. These, Especially these last two, I flipped back and forth for a long time. But number two is Blade Runner 2049. Now, this is something that Corbin and I have done a podcast over, so I'm not gonna spend too much time on it because we have, because my detailed thoughts are talked about even more in detail than a written review um, in that podcast. And all of my thoughts still still persist today. Um, I think that this movie is really great and that Denis Villeneuve proved himself once more that he is a fantastic director. And whoever paired him and Roger Deakins up and Hans Zimmer up is a genius because this movie looks and sounds so great, even though I do find the score to be a little bit more on the bland side. I think this movie is looks so great because of Roger Deakins and then Denise Villeneuve's sense of style and his eye. I think this movie looks so great. Now, my criticisms of the world bidding still stands that I do find this world to be not as investing as the original, but still original, if that makes sense. 
Now, I do have a small correction to make from the podcast. Now, what I said in the podcast is that the movie is not nearly as impressive as the 1982 version of its uh, 1982 predecessor because they used more CGI. And we now have this technology when back then we just used models. That criticism still stands, but I do need to address that there were models used for the city. And that's kind of where I was wondering if that was the case because the CGI, for what I thought was CGI, looked great. There were models used for both the ships and for the buildings, but my criticism still stands that I think that the original Blade Runner looks much better than Blade Runner 2049. And that's something that I think it will stand. But at the same time, 2049 is set more out on the outskirts of the of the city. It isn't necessarily focused on the on the inner city as a character, but the outskirts on the outside. It's exploring what they do out there. That all aside, this movie, just like uh, a ghost story, is also very, very philosophical. And it's something that I think works really, really well. And it really asks that question of what does it mean to be human? And I'm glad that this movie even talks about things like that and has really the audacity to really talk about things like that and of course you can go to the review and you can listen to whatever that everything else that i want to say but that all being said i'm gonna go ahead and get my rating and move on because i i need to talk about this next film i'm still giving this a 10 out of 10 with a highest of highest recommends especially if you really like the blade runner franchise and you haven't seen this one yet i would highly recommend going to see it because it is that good this is something that i'm i'm kind of sad though because it didn't make very much money and ridley scott even came out saying that it was too long because i guess it is true it is two hours and 44 minutes long but i don't feel that pacing i never felt the two hours and 44 minutes that this movie was i did feel it the second time more so than the first time but it didn't feel like two hours almost three hours now Ridley Scott did say that this movie is too long or too boring. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think this is a perfect length. So overall, 10 out of 10, highest of highest recommends. Really, honestly, go see it. It's coming out on Blu-ray soon. I'm going to pre-order it, absolutely. I think this movie is great, and that's all I have to say. All right, my number one pick for 2017 of what I've seen this year, and this is one that I walked out of the theater and I said, absolutely the best film I've seen. And I'm sure you've probably seen this movie in other places. Some people don't tend to think this. I did go back and I was kind of wondering, well, is it really the best one I've seen all year? And the more I thought about it, I was like, yeah, after I flipped me back and forth, it just didn't feel right to put Blade Runner before this. My number one pick is Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. The plot summary is a mother personally challenges the local authorities to solve her daughter's murder when they fail to catch the culprit. The scores here are the Rotten Tomato score of a 93% for critics and 87% for audiences, with an IMDb score of 8.4. Now, how I heard about this film is actually from a YouTuber named YMS, or Your Movie Sucks. He had a short review for it that he got to see. He got to see this movie at a film festival, and he made a short review over it. And what he said in the review interested me. And I was like, really, this film is that good because he gave a, it gave it a really high score. And I was just like, wow, that seems really interesting. So I put it on my watch list. And the more I read up on it, the more I was like, I really want to see this. But it never came to my area until I found it by surprise in the theater around where my college was. And my roommate and I were like, oh, we're going because he got a seat before I did. And he said it was amazing. So we actually ended up going to see it. And there has not been another film this year that has invested me so much to the point where I never wanted it to end because I wanted to see where else the story was going to go and I wanted to see where else these where else these characters were going to grow because this film, for me personally, was so engaging and I was so enveloped by its story that 
I never wanted to leave. And there were points, there was one point specifically in this movie where the movie actually physically made me tear up because of just the desperation and everything that the character of Mildred is built up to wanting to do and having everything else around her kind of come crushing down. This movie does not shy away from honestly being kind of risky, but at the same time, it's meant to be that way and it does it in such a way that really makes the movie so enjoyable and so important that I can't not give this my number one spot. I would love to give Blade Runner my number one spot, and I was hoping that Blade Runner would until I saw this, and I didn't think that it would be number one. I thought it might be below Lady Bird or something like that, but I was wrong, and this movie is my number one, and I cannot get over about how much I loved this movie, seeing it in the theater, and how invested I was, and seeing all these characters move from point A to point B, especially the character of Dixon, who has the most drastic change throughout the entire story, and seeing him as he starts off one way, and then at the very end of the film, he's almost the complete opposite, and seeing that character grow in a way that you never would have expected. In fact, every character in this movie, or even the story itself, goes in down different avenues that you never would have thought the movie would even dare to go because that seems so outlandish to go that way. But when you look back at it and really think about it, it makes so much sense that they went that way because that's how the movie is supposed to go and that's the best way for this movie to be constructed. I think that this movie has it's expertly paced, expertly edited. There is one scene that is burn into my mind with Dixon. And that's the scene when, I'm not going to give it away, but there, but those who have seen it, it's the scene when he goes back in to the sign renting company. The second, I think the, um, I think it's the second time. It's a wonder. I'll say that it's, it's the camera follows him the entire time from behind. That scene is so effective in so many ways that it gives me, honestly, just kind of gives me chills just thinking about it because of how well it was done and how well it was implemented. But at the same time, how much character and how much each scene, not only just that scene alone, but how much each scene means to every other scene in the movie. It's so well done. It's something that I cannot stress enough by how good this movie is. I think that the characters in this movie are characters that feel so real. And so broken at the same time. Every character in this movie has a really stupid moment, some more than others. But at least one time, each character, each main character in this movie has their own stupid moments. But it feels realistic. And this is one of the more realistic movies I've seen all year, aside from Lady Bird. And I think that this movie handles it very, very well. And it's, it's really nice to see what this movie is trying to say, this message that this movie is trying to give its audience, which... I'm not going to give away because how it gets to that message is something that you never would have expected. And I'm glad to see that even, uh, even though every character is stupid and every character has their moment to lash out and really try and get what, trying to get what they want, there are moments in this movie where, where there's a lot of hope. Especially Woody Harrelson's role in this movie and Dixon's role. Not only their camaraderie, but things that both of them do in the movie almost feels like outside of their character. But when you look back at it, it makes so much sense and gives this movie a lot more hope than you would normally think, which is one of the biggest praises I can kind of give to it is that this movie is so well constructed that I can't think of anything that I didn't like. Honestly, I was so, I was so invested into the story that I've honestly can almost say that this is the one that I wish this is this is one of those one of those movies that I've been more invested in than anything else that I've seen. Not only all year, but maybe even of all time, just because of how much I was into this movie and how much I didn't want it to end. And I think that the ending of this movie is perfect 
there is no other way that this movie could have ended. And I'm glad to see this kind of a movie come out. And I'm really wanting to see more from the director because I know that he's done other things. And I also want to see more of Francis McDormand, who has been in, in Fargo, which I actually haven't seen yet. So overall, I would highly, highly, highly recommend it. I'm giving this a 10 out of 10. If I had a score of 11, I would give it, but I don't have that right now. This is the highest recommends. Please go see this movie. I think this movie is a very important movie. I think that it has a lot of great things to say. And I think that this movie is one that I will hold nearer to me because of what it's trying to say and how much I agree with it. Not only how much I agree with it, but how much it's also affected me and hopefully will actually affect others as well. So that's my list of the 22 films put into order. I took a little bit of time to do this. This My notes were about 18 pages long, just kind of going through the things I liked and didn't like, of course. Um, so now I'm kind of wanting to roll into the films that I wanted to see, but didn't get a chance to for one reason or another. And these are in no particular order. I kind of just went onto IMDb and found the ones released this year and the ones that I did want to see that are on my watch list. Now that's going to be The Florida Project, I, Tanya, The Disaster Artist, Get Out, Wind River, to the Bone, A Fantastic Woman, Beauty and the Beast, Kidnap, Good Time, In the Fade, Loving Vincent, Annabelle Creation, War of the Planet of the Apes, The Shape of Water, It, 9-11 with Charlie Sheen, Coco, Wonder, Phantom Thread, and The Killing of a Sacred Deer. Now these are films that maybe eventually I'll get to go see, and if I do, I'll put maybe I'll put a review of it on there on the podcast or a review on the website. We'll see. So those are films I just didn't get to see, and I really wanted to, and maybe would have even had a spot in this list. So now I'm going to move into my Oscar predictions for this year. Now keep in mind this is just for the films that I saw, so there's going to be a lot of repeats in this, mainly from the uh, last four, I would say the last four movies, one, two, three, and four. So. I'm not doing every single category because that would just take too long to do. And honestly, I just kind of want to focus on the bigger ones. At this point in time, the Oscar predictions have not been released yet. Those will be released later this month in January. The Oscars are also taking place in a different time of year. Usually they take place in beginning of February. This time it's in March. They do this because of the Olympics and they don't want to get, they don't really want to, they really want to compete with that. Understandable. Anyways. And before I start getting into my list, I do need to address that I may have two different ratings, one being what I think the Academy will pick and one that I think that I, that I would rather pick. Now, I will state both, if there are both. Now, these are just my predictions. I don't know if this is going to come true of, of what the Academy is going to pick. So let me start at the bottom with best original score. Um, now, the nominees I have is Hans Zimmer for Dunkirk, Hans Zimmer and Benjamin Wolfish for Blade Runner 2049, John Williams for Star Wars The Last Jedi, and Daniel Hart for A Ghost Story. I love all of these, I love all of these scores, but I think that Hans Zimmer and uh, Benjamin Wolfish will win for Blade Runner 2049, that one just kind of has the most ambient sound and really incorporates itself better into the film. Uh, if I were to pick any others, it might be Dunkirk. I think that one also is one that uh, is really well done, um, regardless of what I think of how it's, how it's put into the movie. But moving on, best film editing. Now it's going to be Joe Walker for Blade Runner 2049, David Lowry for A Ghost Story, John Gregory for Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, and Lee Smith for Dunkirk. I think in this one, Joe Walker for Blade Runner 2049 might end up winning best film editing. I think that, as I said in the review, this film really flows really well, which kind of gives it more of an hour feel than it does two hours and 45 minutes. Moving on, uh, best cinematography I have up there for three billboards, a ghost story, Dunkirk, and Blade Runner twenty forty nine. This one was hard, honestly. There were I if I had to narrow it down to two, 
or three, it would be a Ghost Story, Dunkirk, and Blade Runner 2049. If I was to pick one of them, uh, personally, I would pick a Ghost Story because of how amazing it looks, but I think the Academy might go for Dunkirk or Blade Runner 2049 if I had to pick one, maybe maybe Blade Runner. I don't know. This one's hard. This one's really hard, a really hard pick for me. But moving on, best screenplay. That's going to be Edgar Wright for Baby Driver, Martin McDonough for Three Billboards, and David Lowry for A Ghost Story, and Darren Aronofsky for Mother. I think that the Academy for this one might go for, for best screenplay, probably A Ghost Story. I think that this movie does have a really good screenplay. It's something that's really important. If anything, I might end up going for Blade Runner. But moving on, let's go to best writing. Uh, I have Greta Gerwig for Lady Bird, Martin McDonough for Three Billboards, Hampton Fisher and Michael Green for Blade Runner, Darren Aronofsky for Mother. I think that the Academy, ooh, best writing might go for Greta Gerwig and Lady Bird or Three Billboards. I think that they might go for Lady Bird first. I would go for Three Billboards. Right under that would be Blade Runner 24-9, then Lady Bird. But yeah, that's what I would say. Academy is going to go for Lady Bird and I'll go for Three Billboards. Best Actress, uh, I have up here for Francis, Francis McNorman for Three Billboards, uh, Sororosi Ronan for Lady Bird, and Jennifer Lawrence for Mother. Now, this is just Best Actress, not Supporting Actress. I didn't put Supporting char- supporting Actors or Actresses in this list. Uh, I'm going to say that Academy might go for Sororosi Ronan, but I might go for Francis McDormand for Three Billboards, just because she does a great job. Best Actor, I have on here for... Ryan Gosling for 2049, Kumal Nani Johnny for The Big Sick, and Hugh Jackman for Logan. I think the Academy might go for Kumal or Ryan Gosling. I think they might go for Ryan Gosling more just because of the more dynamic range that he has in that movie. And I think I'll, I think I agree with that. Ryan Gosling might end up getting this award. I think that's what the Academy go for. That'd be my pick is for Ryan Gosling to get that Oscar this year. All right, so Best Director, I have Christopher Nolan for Dunkirk, Mark McDonough for Three Billboards, Greta Gerwig for Lady Bird, Edgar Wright for Baby Driver, Denise Villeneuve for Blade Runner 2049. This one was also really hard. I had it really stuck between Three Billboards, Lady Bird, and 2049. I think that if I was to pick one, for me personally, I might go for Lady Bird for Best Director, but for the Academy, they might go for Martin McDonough. They might go for Denise Verneuve. They might go for Martin. They might actually go for Greta Gerwig just because this is a very one of her first huge works that made it so big. So that might end up might end up being and as as, a, as amateur as she might be in terms of how many films she's made, this might be it. This might be the one that gets her that Oscar. Who knows? We'll see. Maybe the Academy will go for that. I'll go for I'll go for that too. So best picture. This is where it, this is honestly where all the films kind of come come to. Uh, Lady Bird, Blade Runner 2049, Three Billboards, and maybe a Ghost Story might be on that list. I can I can see if it would be. I'll, I don't know if the Academy will pick it. I'd be surprised if they did. I think that the Academy might go for Lady Bird. I personally would go for Three Billboards for Best Picture. So anyways, to kind of wrap up my this podcast for now, this year was a great year for movies. I didn't give as many low ratings as I thought I would. That And when I count low, I count to be five. Below, a five and below is a very low rating. I only gave two low ratings this year. I think it's kind of interesting. I think this was a very good year for for movies in general. Three Billboards and Lady Bird were two great original works, with 2049 being a very necessary sequel. And Corbin and I talked about that in, the, in our podcast. 
Luckily, I was able to see a lot of movies. This isn't everything I wish I was able to see. I talked about that list earlier, but this I did get to see a lot, and I was glad to see um, as many films as I was. That's kind of lucky because I'm in college, and uh, money is kind of a big thing I'd be careful of. So it looks like the Oscars this year will be interesting. Um, I don't know how close I'll be on my predictions. Hopefully, they don't pull something really stupid, as they've been known to sometimes do. The nomination list is going to be released on January 23rd, 2018, and the Oscars go live on March 4th, 2018. That way they don't conflict with, with the Winter Olympics. So thanks, guys. Thanks for listening this far into the podcast. It is pretty long. I do kind of like to talk and ramble a lot, and this is a lot longer than I actually would have expected it to be, but I'm glad we got to talk about it. So let me know in the comments below if you have Podbean. Sorry, people on Apple Podcasts. What do you think about my predictions? I know that Corbin also has his predictions up, and I don't. And if he doesn't have his worst up yet, he will soon. I'm glad that I actually was able to get a new mic for Christmas, and I'm able to use it for the first time ever. And hopefully, if I hopefully I can get it up and running back at my apartment back when I get back to college, I don't have the I don't have all the equipment right yet. That being said, uh, thanks, guys. Uh, soon, Corbin and I will be coming out with a podcast where we discuss the ideas for the next year. And if we're still working on all that kind of stuff, we're adding all the details. We have a lot of really good stuff coming for you guys. And I'm really excited for the rest of the year and see what all that entails. With that being said, thanks, guys, for listening, and we'll catch you in the next one. Hello, everyone. This is just Alan, just me. Corbin has already done his list. I'm going to set this over. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to SSG. Yeah. Hello, everyone. This is just me this time. No. Hello, everyone. Welcome to my list for the top I say my movies ranked the movies that I've seen this year and what I think was the worst compared to the best. Now, let me just go through a couple of things. This might be a bit different than what Corbin did, but with mine, with this podcast, since it is just me, I'm going to start this over. Hello, everyone. This is Alan. Uh, do I sound better? Because I totally got a new mic for Christmas. Uh, with that being said, hopefully I can get this one to work with a podcast. Right now, I'm kind of in a special room, but I'm not going to use that opening. Like I said, I think it's a good step for Apple. Like I said, I think it's a good step for Marvel. But I hear that it is pretty controversial. <laughs> That being said, and I, Gifted isn't quite as bright as its pint-sized protagonist, but a charming cast rings respectably rings respectability. No, Gifted is quite a Gifted isn't as quite Gifted isn't quite as bright as its pint-sized protagonist, but a charging but a charming cast rings respectably engaging drama out of a fairly predictable premise. This movie handles that really well. It's got a huge, like, a big-name cast. It's got a big-name cast right here. All-star. It's got an all-star cast here, including Benneth Bragan. I'm glad to see that Edgar Wright is still making fantastic, great... I'm, I'm glad to see that Edgar Wright, Edgar Wright... I'm glad to see that Edgar Wright is still making great movies. So anyways, that's my final... Those are... that's. 
So anyways, that, that's what... So anyways, to wrap up this podcast, now that we're... Oh, wow. Really long into it. 